Welcome to the Link to Prevention podcast, hosted by the KSARC Prevention Team. On today's episode, we're focusing on the voices of parents and caregivers to hear about how they communicate with the youth in their lives. We invited two KSARC staff members, Gabby and Denise, to have a conversation with us about how they talk to the young people in their lives about prevention topics. These topics include the ones we talk about in classrooms, like boundaries, consent, and the use of online spaces. Before we dive in, I'm going to ask you both to introduce yourselves, including what your roles are here at KSARC. Denise, you can start. Hi, I'm Denise Bissett. I'm a legal advocate and a supervisor here at KSARC. And I'm Gabby. I'm one of the bilingual mental health therapists here at KSARC. Thank you both for being here. If you could both just start, I don't know who wants to dive in next, about a little bit of background on the youth that you have in your lives, whether you're parents, caregivers, aunts. Yeah, so I have a 19-year-old of my own. He's male. And I have two nieces. One is 24 and one is 15. Top of the plethora of friends that come along with having a child of my own and nieces. So in my personal life, yeah. I have three nieces and they're in their 20s. And then I have a little eight-year-old niece as well and a nine-year-old nephew. Great. Yeah. And Denise, thanks for making that distinction too, that we are talking a bit more personally today about how you're talking to youth in your lives outside of the work that you're doing, because I know you're both already doing awesome work with adolescents, kids in your professional roles as well. So if we're thinking personally about the folks that you just mentioned, how do you talk to them about this work and specifically about sexual violence prevention? I think I like talk to uh, you, Hannah and Jessica in the kitchen. And I talked about how we were on the car ride to the movies and all of a sudden I just like turn around and I'm like, okay, the nephew and the niece. And I just turned back in the car and I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about, okay, not okay touch. And what does that mean? I want to ask my nephew about it. And uh, he's like, oh, they talk about secret touch at school. And I was like, okay, perfect. What have you talked about? And then he's like, my private parts. And if anybody like is asking to touch them or if anybody tells me like, don't touch them. I think I've taken the approach of doing it in very casual conversations and making it normal of like, it's okay. We can talk about this. I've tried to make it as casual as possible so they could feel more comfortable if it does happen to be like, okay, like my aunt talked to me about this. Like, it's okay for me to like talk to her about it if ever to come up. So that's the way that I've uh, started the talk. I would say that I'm more like Gabby in terms of I take opportunities when they present. So rather than just sort of setting aside separate time to have conversations about these things, I kind of mix it into a conversation we may already be having. It's different, I think, when they're younger, but as they get older, you know, things show up on TikTok or things show up on social media and they're talking about it. They're all talking about it. And so it's a good opportunity to just sort of casually point out like, hey, I wonder how this person feels about that. Or I wonder if that person gave consent for that photo to be shown. Or, you know, I'll, I'll sort of drop in those little nuggets of education when I can. And it makes it seem less, I think, weird for the young people in my life. They know what I do, but so they know what I'm doing. You kind of alluded to this, but how has it changed over time with age? 
So I can speak from a parenting perspective, especially because I have a a boy and he was a really rambunctious little guy and didn't want to sit in his seat and was super touchy as a kid, like very affectionate, would just grab onto other people, hug them all the time. It was the cutest thing ever. But when kids go to school and they're hugging kids that don't want to be hugged, it's not as cute. I mean, it's still cute, but it's not as cute. Right. And so it, that came up very early in, um, in raising him that consent was important and that if people don't want to be touched, that you just don't get to touch them. And as he's gotten older, of course he's 19 now. So the conversations now are, are very direct and much more specific. And sometimes he'll even go, Oh my gosh, mom, stop. You know, he doesn't really end, but I will be very direct with him and just say very specific things about like, if you're going to a party or if you're alone with somebody that you're not dating or that you, even if you are dating them, like I'll reiterate what consent is be careful with the drinking, be mindful of your size, how much space you take up, you know, how intimidating you may or may not be. And he has to be reminded. Yeah. Cause obviously the range with my nieces are different, but like with the littles, it's, it's way different, right? It's about like your body autonomy. Like if you don't want your backpack to be grabbed by anybody else, or if you don't want your cookie to be taken away from you, like little things of building a consent, right? Constantly asking for things and sharing, or if you don't want to share, it's okay. Right. But with like my nieces who are in their twenties, it's a lot more different. It's about like Denise is talking about, okay, asking specifically, like making sure that you are okay with whatever touch and these are both girls who identify as women as well as they grow up and so it's talking to them about like don't feel pressured to do anything sexual that you don't want to do it's way way more specific and telling them like these are the things that are okay and not okay for you to do rather than just okay not okay touch so it, it does it definitely like follows the age of development and I think a lot of people think like when they hear like prevention or like sexual abuse and all that stuff they're like oh my god they're gonna talk about penises and vaginas and vulvas and all of this it's like no we're we're gonna talk about we're gonna give them the correct name so the child knows and with the older girls it's like teaching them condoms and birth control and yes and no and the pillars of consent because even when i talk to them about consent they're like well it's just about yes no there's way more aspects to it and so it's like having that open conversation with the older kids because it's sexual things are going to happen you just have to come to the realization that unfortunately in our society it's just gonna happen and might as well start addressing it sooner because you don't unfortunately you don't want to be blindsided if it does happen it's better to talk about it starting as young as you can totally Awesome. Thank you both. I want to shift into something I think you've both also mentioned a little bit is online spaces and technology use. That comes up for us a lot when we're talking to adolescents and kids about how to be safe online. Can you be safe online? Who are you talking to? What are you sharing online? So what do those conversations look like for both of you with the youth in your lives? Honestly, the online phenomenon is just is sort of mind blowing to me. What is happening there and what I'm not even going to say just young people. I mean, I think in general, right. What people are using that platform for the message because I'm a legal advocate that I always try to drive home is that is not only not okay, but considered a crime. 
So you can be considered a sexual predator if you're sending photos or if you're receiving photos of other people, particularly young people. When I break that down, I sometimes get the side eye, like, that isn't true. And then I'm like, oh no, <laughs> let me explain to you, you know, how the law works. It's a showstopper when they learn that for the first time. So that is not something I'm shy ever about sharing with especially teens. But frankly, I've had that conversation with grown people as well. Like, please don't do that. That is not an okay thing to be doing. You don't know who's receiving these photos. And they're there forever, by the way. Like, they don't think it all the way to the end. So yeah, that that is a conversation that I often have. And I remember when the kids were a little bit younger, like maybe more middle school age, and they were starting to get curious about things. My line was always, you don't want to see something you can't unsee. So when you're poking around on the internet, you do not. I know I feel that way when I'm poking around on the internet. I might see something that I can't unsee. And so I, I sort of warn them like, hey, you, you want to, you're going to want to be careful with it. It's very, very hard as a parent or a teacher to, I think, control, which isn't maybe another conversation. But yeah, that is that is really tough. It's very hard to stay on top of that. And so I think teaching them about it is a smarter approach um, as a parent rather than just don't do it or I'm going to prevent them from doing it because I'm probably not going to be able to prevent them from doing it. I think most of us attended the Children's Justice Conference back in April and there was that one training about pornography and it's going to be out there. Like Denise said, like you're as a parent or as a caregiver, you're not going to be able to monitor everything and anything because it's just so prevalent online. And even with like teenagers, I just attended a training that talked about like teenage girls were filming other girls in the locker room while they're changing. And then whatever reason they want to bully them or they want to just use that as, as blackmail or, or to or they sell it to other boys. And I was just shocked that it's at that point to where even at, well, obviously I know it's happening at school, but that technology piece is just so embedded everywhere that it's it's like anybody has a cell phone with a camera nowadays. And so for even girls as a as the locker room, such an intimidating place as a middle schooler or, a high, or even high school for them to not even feel safe to change. It's like just reminding them, like, just be careful because... Like Denise said, it's going to be out there for the rest of your life and they don't understand the consequences that it's going to take. Um, I've seen many cases that uh, teenage girls will, unfortunately, teenage girls will be impacted way more than boys. And so it's like reminding them that it's, it's pretty harmful. It's just about having that conversation with them. Yeah, it sounds like the open communication is still just as important when we're talking about online spaces and rather than just saying, don't do this, don't do that, which we know probably won't help much. It almost makes it worse, right? Yeah, yes. So thinking then a little bit, maybe back for both of you before you started at KSARC versus now, how do you think this work has impacted the way that you're communicating with the young people in your lives about these topics that we're talking about? Like, I was like, oh, I don't want to. Like, I feel so awkward talking about sex or consent or anything. I was like, I don't want to talk about it. If it was brought up, obviously, in therapy, I would talk about it. But if it was not, I was like, ugh. Before this, I used to work with teenage boys. 
And so I would talk to them about like, I was very adamant about consent and respect and don't send your penis to other girls. Literally, we would talk about like harassment and all this other stuff. But aside from that, I was not uh, very open with it other than like, don't do it. Um, I was that person. I think this job in particular has taught me how to relate better to young people just in general. But what I know is that hiding things from them or not being transparent or really honest with them is almost a bigger, the biggest mistake you can make. Right. Cause I think they, they know. So I've definitely gotten more open about my communication and, and I'm a pretty, I don't, I'm a blunt communicator anyway. I'm a pretty direct communicator anyway. So the young people in my life know that they seem to respond well to that. So I don't really hold punches, but I do think prior to this work, these conversations didn't really occur to me to have. And I think kids have secret lives. So, well, I know kids have secret lives. <laughs> they do. So if you're not having the conversation and it's almost like out of sight, out of mind, kind of acknowledging that they have these secret lives and that we know about them. We don't know details necessarily, and that's fine. They get to have privacy, but acknowledging that they have these secret lives and then kind of pointing it out and being as direct as possible, I think is the best approach. And frankly, even with little children, like you were saying earlier, Gabby, about teaching, you know, just how to ask for, to share food, or do you want to give grandpa a hug or are you comfortable having that conversation with that stranger? Like that's okay to teach them really early that they can make decisions about their own bodies. And I think it empowers them down the road to advocate for themselves. So I like what you said, Denise, about asking or telling your child, like, if you don't want to get a hug from your grandparents or from your family members, I think me as a Latina is it's in the lot of immigrant cultures it's common for you to walk into the room into a into a gathering or something and you're expected to give hugs or kisses or whatever handshakes and the kid is obligated to do this right and sometimes they might not want to or because they just feel uncomfortable or because they have been sexually abused or whatever the situation, it's okay. Let them decide who they want to say, like actually have a hug with or a kiss with or whatever it is. But we need, I, I think we as a society need to start steering away from so like into this touchy of like forcing the child to do this. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. And you're transitioning us into our last question very nicely. What do you want to leave parents and caregivers with any advice that both of you have for starting or just continuing to have these conversations with kids, teens, young adults in their lives? I think I would want them to know that it's okay not to know and that I work in this field. And so I am more comfortable, Gabby expressed, like maybe not being as comfortable until she worked in this field. But if you don't know, ask someone who does and find out how to have those conversations. And if you can't have those conversations, encourage someone else to have those conversations with your kids because they're important, whether you're you know, able or willing to do it or not. 
I think for me it's like start early, really early, because unfortunately with the job that we are in, we know that it happens fairly young. And so it's like start having those conversations as soon as they understand and can start talking because unfortunately a lot of parents and caregivers are uninformed of how young it actually does happen. And then I just hear that with from parents, working with parents all the time. Like, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known. And it's like, you're not going to know. If you're not in this field, you're not going to know. But also starting that conversation. And like Denise said, like finding somebody that is a safe adult that they're willing to trust to have that conversation and, and learning yourself as well to be more comfortable with the uncomfortable because I hear it so often from parents or kids. Like, I didn't want to tell my mom because I wanted, I was going to get in trouble. That's a constant thing that the little kids think they're going to get in trouble if they tell. So always, always start the conversation as early as you possibly can. So I was thinking of a couple of examples where I've worked with parents who maybe found out after the fact that about these secret lives that our kids have, or even they found out after the fact about an assault. And I think there's a lot of shame around parents not automatically knowing I should have known. Why didn't I see it? Um, one thing I say all the time is you didn't know because people don't want you to know. And so there is no shame in that. And the other thing I try to remind parents is no parent is prepared to hear this kind of thing. And no parent has a handbook and how to handle it. So there is no shame in not knowing what to do or how to talk to your child about it. Um, your child may or may not share a lot of information or a lot of details about what happened to them. That's okay too. But I think support when you do hear something that is concerning is the most important key. Just kind of stay level. And if you need to go out and get some more information or some resources to help you sort of navigate that, um, I would really encourage parents to do that. Thank you both so much for being here. This was great. Awesome. Thanks again. And I will see you soon. Until next time, stay curious, be kind, and take care. Find out more about the services offered and to stay up to date on everything that prevention is doing, check us out online at ksark.org. That's K-C-S-A-R-C.org. This podcast was funded in part by a grant awarded by the Department of Justice. Points of view in this podcast are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the Department of Justice. Grants funded are administered by the Office of Firearm Safety and Violence Prevention under the Public Safety Unit at the Washington State Department of Commerce.